Well, that song just finished, just speaking about how our God is able. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And that comes from Joshua chapter 1. You remember when Joshua took over the leadership role in Israel, God commissioned him saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all the people into the land I'm giving you to the people of Israel. And in his promise, he says that I will not leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. It's a promise that Joshua just just rested in as he trusted in the Lord. And then the Lord, listen to the advice that the Lord gave to Joshua following that. He said, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be very strong and very courageous, being careful to do, excuse me, being careful to do according to all the law of Moses, my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. It's great, great counsel for Joshua. He thinks about taking over for his hero in the faith, uh, Moses. Moses was an older man, 120 years old. Joshua was a a young man. His task would would be difficult. He'd find it challenging, and yet God said that I'm going to be with you every step of the way. He is able. He is for us. He is with us. We say amen to that. But I want you to think carefully, though, about what God commissioned Joshua to do. He told him to obey the law. He said, don't swerve to the left or don't swerve to the right, but keep it. He says, I want you to think about it. I want you to think about it day and night. He says, then you will be prosperous and then you will have success. And in fact, I, I remember memorizing that verse in college. I was a senior in college and got hold of Navigator's memory system. And so Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. Then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have success. And just the principle there for us is a good word. When we face our trials and difficulties of life and things are hard for us, let us stand on the Word of God. Be careful not to swerve to the right or left of God's Word. But stand on it. Speak it. Let it not depart from your mouth. Be talking about God's Word and let it not depart from your mind. But meditate on it day and night. So you might be prosperous and you might have success. And I do believe that promise comes to us. That there is a way in which you keep God's word and you submit your ways to him that he will bless you. And you'll have a measure of success and prosperity in your life. But, but I want for you to consider what God told Joshua. Think about it. I'll, I'll read again. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night. You shall think on the law day and night. He he says in chapter 1, verse 7, be careful to do all according to the law 
which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And again, so what's he talking about in the original context? He's not talking about the Psalms. He's not talking about the prophets. He's not talking about the New Testament. He's talking about the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God says, Joshua, you want to have success? Then you put your mind to obeying these five books that I've given you and you put your mind to speaking about it and to thinking about it. He told him to think about Genesis and the creation account. He says, contemplate the exodus of Israel and meditate on all the laws of Leviticus. Reflect on numbers and the wilderness wanderings and mull over Deuteronomy, Moses' last sermons, again and again and again. And that was to lead Joshua to success. And I say that if Genesis was profitable for Joshua, it's profitable for us. And if Exodus was profitable and helpful for Joshua, it's helpful for us. And if Leviticus was helpful for Joshua, it is helpful for us. So let us turn this morning to the third chapter of the book of Leviticus. We go over the, the peace offering. I trust by now, maybe you've memorized the first five chapters of the book of Leviticus and the broadest, the broadest outline possible. Remember that story about Bernie Grange, the old farmer, taking his daughter Cindy's little pig guilt in her hands. Remember the story says, Bernie Grange pacifies Cindy's guilt. Burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, and guilt offering. We looked two weeks ago at the burnt offering, totally consuming. Totally consumed on the altar. It says true worship is it's about being totally consumed. It may appear to be wasteful and costly, but it's worth it is what God calls us to. And last week we looked at the grain offering, which were partially to be consumed. Real simple, most elemental things you could use to make bread. Fine flour and oil. Um, frankincense perhaps. Salt was always there. No leaven or no honey. And we looked, if anything, that, that the... The grain offering was an expression of thanksgiving. Well, this morning we come to the, the peace offerings. And I just want to start by reading the entire chapter for you and then we'll, we'll dig into it. So Moses writes, under the inspiration of God's Word, If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar and from the sacrifice of the peace offering as a food offering to the Lord. He shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of liver that he shall remove from the kidneys, then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering for the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, he shall offer it before the Lord, lay his hand on the head of the offering and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son shall... Throw its blood against the sides of the altar and from the sacrifice of the peace offering he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord all its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail cut off close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver he shall remove with the kidneys and the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. 
If his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord, lay his hand on its head and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar and then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering of the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys of the fat that is on them at the loins and at and the long lobe of the liver he shall remove with the kidneys and the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. At first glance, these offerings sound a lot like the burnt offerings. You have different animals brought to the priest. Here they've got an animal from the herd or from the flock, particularly a lamb or a goat, um, as they're brought to the priest, the worshiper lays his hand, symbolic of just whatever, imparting his, his guilt there or imparting his grace or imparting something identifying with the animal. He then kills the animal there at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And then the priest then takes the animal, takes the blood from that animal and sprinkles it upon the altar and then burns the animal before the Lord. It's the pattern of the peace offering, very much like the burnt offering. Now, there's some things that are different here a little bit. Uh, first of all, there's a, a difference in gender of the animal you sacrifice. The burnt offering, it was only a male. And here it's male and female. Another difference, the main difference here, is what is burned on the altar. In the burnt offering, the entire animal was consumed. In this peace offering, only the fat is consumed. Much like the grain offering, the portion of the peace offerings not consumed is then given to be eaten. If you want to hang your hooks and uh, hang my thoughts on a hook, I know that my wife appreciates this. I thought about going outline this this morning and she doesn't like that. So here's my outline, just four words. First one is food. Food. The animal of sacrifice would be eaten by the priest and catch this by the worshiper. So not just the not just the priest, but also the worshiper. This is unique in all the other sacrifices. Last week of the grain offering, remember the priest was to take a handful, throw it on the fire, and then the rest of it he was to eat. Or he was to take a little bit of it and throw it on the altar and then eat the, the cooked portion of it. The majority was given to the priest. It was only to the priests. That that was offered to the Lord was not to be taken home and eaten. It was to be given to the priest and they were to eat it alone. And in future weeks, we'll see next week the sin offering and the week after that, the grain offering, a similar similar idea is that that which is given, that which is offered is for the priests and possibly the family, but for the priests and the holy ones to eat. But here in the priest offering, in the peace offering, it's both priest and worshiper eats of the sacrifice. And it's it's after the blood is sprinkled, and the fat was burned, the, the priests were given their part. And the worshiper had the rest. In fact, chapter 7, we're told of what was given to the priest. Turn over there to chapter 7. By, by the way, the first five chapters talks about burning grains, pacify Cindy's guilt. Okay? And then chapters 6 and 7 give a perspective of these same sacrifices, but from the priest's perspective. So the first five are from the worshiper's perspective. And then in chapter 6 and 7, we have from the priest's perspective. So it's, it's basically instructions to the priests. And we're going to see in chapter 7, what's given to the priest is the breast of the sacrificed animal and the right thigh of the sacrificed animal. Probably going back to Exodus 32 when God wrestled with Jacob. And the worshiper then, by implication, was to receive the rest. Let's just read this. Leviticus chapter 7, 28 through 35. 
Verse 28, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offerings and he shall bring the fat with the breast that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. So here's a wave offering. It's kind of maybe start on fire, maybe smoke, but somehow just wave back and forth before the Lord. But it's the breast. It's the part the priest is going to have. And the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. That's the food. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right thigh for his portion. For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offerings. I have given them to Aaron, the priest, and to his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel. And this is the portion that Aaron and his sons from the food offering from the day they're presented to serve as priests of the Lord. And we've got the right thigh mentioned. We've got the breast offering presented about giving to the Lord. And the implication is then, and the practice of what we know is that then it came to the people that they could eat the rest. And by giving to the Lord with a peace offering, you could give to the priest, you give to the Lord, burn out some of the smoke, the priests have it, and then you also can have a feast as well. And uh, we see that the food needs to be eaten in several days. We're, we can f- read that at the end of uh, chapter, in, in chapter 7, uh, like verse 18. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering is not eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted. See, it's got to be eaten by that time. It's got to be eaten quickly. And if you've got a, a goat or a cow, you can't eat all of that. And so you need to invite your friends. And so what happened with the peace offerings, basically they turned into a party, a time of joy and gladness and celebration. Deuteronomy 27.7 describes this joy when they entered the land, when they offered peace offerings. It says, And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there, and you shall receive before you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Coming into the land, mounting blessings and cursings on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and there you eat of your peace offerings and you celebrate before the Lord. Now, because of this joy and gladness, the peace offering, how it's a party, it's often been called the fellowship offering. In fact, if you have an NIV in your lap, you'll see that this is called a fellowship offering, not a peace offering. But I think peace offering is a better translation. Here it comes from the Hebrew word shalom. Actually, it's the plural, shalomim. It's the, the peacings offering or the, that which is filled with peace. You've probably heard this word before. It's the word in Psalm 122. That Those of you who were here when we started our service, you know we read Psalm 122 about the peace offerings, praying for the peace of Jerusalem, praying for the shalom of Jerusalem. May the peace be within your walls. May the shalom be within your walls. May they prosper who love you. May, may the prosperity may it be within your palaces. And, and there's a, an idea of shalom. It goes, it goes beyond just near absence of enemies, what we think of as peace. We think of peace, we think of everything tranquil and still and you're just okay. But shalom goes further than that. It, it speaks about a well-being. It speaks about a, a prosperity, a, a favor with God and a, a favor with Man, and, and that, by the way, is the idea of fellowship, well-being, sharing, and community. Though it might be fellowship, might be more on the the horizontal realm, but yet it is. There's a sharing with God as well, and so you, you encapsulate all those ideas into the peace offering is really what it is. 
picture of harmony and goodwill with God and with each other. And that's the atmosphere is cultivated in the peace offering and the sacrifice offered and food shared all around. God gets his part, priest gets their part, the worshiper gets their part, and everybody has a happy family. And I think parallels to this is what we practice at Rock Valley Bible Church in terms of our monthly fellowship dinners. We call it our fellowship meal, right? We bring our food to church. We worship the Lord. And then afterwards, we eat our bread together. And how appropriate. I'm preaching here on this first Sunday of the month. We've come to worship the Lord. Many of you have brought your food. And this Sunday is going to be different, as you all know, right? We're going to separate into different homes for uh, guests who's coming to dinner. And you'll just be in someone's home for dinner, wherever you are. But the idea is the same. We're going to, we're going to turn Sunday morning into, into a party. That's what it's about. It's a peace offering. Bringing, being right with God, being right with others, sharing a meal together. It's about celebrating God's blessing in our life. And peace only comes through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And peace with each other only comes through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.14-16 For He Himself, Jesus, is our peace. He's talking here about the Jews and the Gentiles. He, he's the one that reconciled these two bodies together. He says, who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, they might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile, together to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. If you know anything about the, the Jewish law, like we're trying to learn about here, there's, there's this difference between those who are going to live a holy life according to Leviticus and those who aren't living a holy life. And I, I trust that as you're walking with Christ, you see that and sense that often as you're out in the workplace or in the world, that there's a difference between the way you're living and the way other people are living. And, but it was even greater back then when they were living according to these laws and, and keeping all the food laws and keeping all the clothing laws and keeping all the ceremonial laws. It's just a difference between those two people. But in Christ, those things have been abolished. Jews and Gentile come to God by faith in Jesus Christ and can be one new man. That is the peace offering. That is what it's celebrating. And, and I just say, may Rock Valley Bible Church celebrate these realities in our lives, being so reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. Perhaps even a better picture, though, the peace offering is the Lord's Supper. When we're all together and we eat a symbolic meal together, eating His bread, drinking His blood. In fact, that's why we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of my message this morning. Well, there's food. Let, let's go to fat, my next word. we got food, we got fat. This is one of the things that is not eaten in the sacrifice. Look back at chapter 3, where we are in the, the peace offering. Verse 16 and the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It was always burned, never eaten. You brought a sacrifice to God, you never ate the fat portion of that. It's true of the sin offering, true of the guilt offering. The fat was always to be burned and never eaten. And so the question comes up, why? Well, well what, what's up with the fat? Well, like many things in Leviticus, we're not told, but I do believe we have a pretty good guess as to why it was the fat. And I think it has something to do with how they saw fat in the days of the Old Testament. See, when in a day and age when the average person had to labor long and hard for their food on the table, being fat was a sign of prosperity. It means that you had a lot. It means you didn't have to work so hard. It was a, it was a sign of health and it was a sign of blessing. 
I didn't know about the, the problems of, of uh, cholesterol and weight and fat and all that sort of stuff back then, but very few people were large. When they were large, like the fat King Eglon in Judges chapter, oh, I think it's one maybe, it's identified. Most people were, were thin because they had to work hard. But being large was health and blessing. And listen, it's only because of the affluence in our lives that we see fat as a bad thing. I remember being in India uh, last time. Uh, was it last time? I forget. It was, I think it was three years ago. And uh, I had this man, John Chetri. You know John. John is a fun Indian man who's uh, been to Nepal. He's back and he arranges all the pastoral training over there that we do in India and Nepal that I'm going to be going to in about 14 days, 15, 16 days maybe. And uh, we had this dinner, like, like whenever we eat there, we don't eat much meat, maybe just uh, four little pieces of chicken each day. It's kind of the, the protein requirement or protein that, that we get. And I remember on the last day of training, uh, we were up on this mountain in uh, Dharan in, uh, in Nepal, and we had this meal, and it was, I, I think it was pork, and, and it, was, it was literally half fat. Okay, they had they had the, the pork chunks and some of those were chunk, some of those killed with fat and they had just chunks of fat just right there. And you're like a, they break up Chinese food and a bunch of stuff and, and so I ate just the meat. I didn't really care for the fat. But John says, "Oh, you got some fat? Oh, I like the fat." And he just ate there and he just ate because it was a feast time. It was the last day. It was celebrating everything done because in India and Nepal uh, the fat is precious because they struggle more for food. It, well, I think the story about. Children in our family, right? One of our favorite meals from Sam's Club, Avon says, rotisserie chicken. It's quick, it's easy. You throw some rice on there, just a little bit of broccoli. You got a great meal. It's fast, it's warm, it's cheap. If you're looking for a place, it's nice and plump. Okay, uh, it's good stuff. I'm looking for the Mitchells, are they here? No, that maybe they're not here today. The fryers, they're, they're fryer chicken. It is, it is good stuff. Rice, veggies, wonderful meal. But whenever we have a rotisserie chicken, David is always asking for the skin. He says, can I have the skin? Can I have the skin? Because he loves the fat. The fat is so flavorful. It is wonderful. But we are health conscious and waste conscious. We don't eat the skin and we give uh, a good portion of the skin to him to eat. Um, we stay away, but not so in the ancient world. In the ancient world, the fat was precious. Genesis 48:18. Pharaoh is extending his kindness to Joseph and his father and his family. He said this, Take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. Meaning that you're going to have the best when you have the fat. Being fat is a sign of blessing. Proverbs 13:2. The soul of the diligent is made fat. Right? He's filled just with, with fat and overflowing. Proverbs 15.30, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart and good news puts fat on the bones. You get fat on the bones, it's good news. It means you're, you're going well if you're fat. So offering the fat on the altar is a bit like giving the Lord the first fruits of your produce, giving Him the best. And I, I do believe that that's what He's talking about here. God doesn't want your leftovers. He wants your best. He wants your first fruits. He doesn't want what's left over. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I think that comes straight to us. God wants your fat. He wants your best. He wants the best of your time. He wants the best of your resources. He wants the best of your energy. So give God your best and trust that 
Got to be faithful to make up the lack. Because you might say, oh no, but I, I need to work this this time in order to make the money. Or I can't, I can't give this because, because then I'll, I'll lack at the end. And just trust the promise of Proverbs 3, 9 and 8. Honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all your produce so that your barns may be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Just trust you. Give to the Lord and He's going to provide all your needs. In fact, isn't that what Levitic is about? Giving the Lord our best? I mean, the phrase, right? You shall be holy. You shall be separate. You shall be pure. You shall be distinct. You shall be righteous, giving the best of what we have to God, turning from our sinful desires unto complete devotion to Him. And that's what He requires, right? All of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving Him. And giving the fat is merely a representation of what of what our love is like. It's like, God, this is, this is the best I have and I, I give it to You. I just say this, are, are you giving your best? Maybe there's some things here this morning that the Lord's bringing to your thought and mind. Maybe there are areas in your life where you're not giving the Lord your best. I just say this, oh, oh God, may You grant repentance to us. And we'd be a holy people offering to you the best of what we have. Let's move on. We've seen food and fat. Let's go to blood. It's another prohibition found in verse 17. Leviticus 3.17 It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. Now, I think this pertains particularly to the sacrificed animals. Don't eat the fat, don't drink the blood. But, but the blood is, is something that never, ever, ever Israelites were ever to, to drink. And the question comes up, why? Why is the blood of the sacrifice to be sprinkled on the altar or burned or consumed rather than eaten or drank? And here there's no speculation. Okay? In fact, that all is speculation. Okay? I think reason through. We can be safe on some things there. But this comes with no Speculation. Over in chapter 17, you can turn over there if you want. Chapter 17, 10 through 12 speaks about blood. He says, If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. So in other words, if someone comes over, brings their blood platter. Oh, look at this blood juice I got. Uh, get away, because right? God is going to cut that person off. Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. He says, why? For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for you, for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. It's kind of like, don't eat blood, don't eat blood. Why? Because in blood is life and in blood is atonement. Because God requires the life for atonement. Because you need a death to atone for your sins. And, and there, is a, there is a life in the blood and that blood needs to be drained out. Sacrifice in place of you is what you need. And of course, that's screaming to Jesus, isn't it? That He is our sacrifice. He was our, our life that we lived and then He was put to death and His blood shed upon that cross. So we believe and trust we are made right with Him. His death means our life because His death, His blood atoned for our sins. 
Because in the blood is atonement. And there's something special about the blood of Christ. Peter calls it the precious blood as of a lamb without blemish or spot. The lamb or the goat or the bull that came had to be without blemish or spot. And Jesus was that in the human realm. It was His blood that purchased men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And His spilt blood is a blood to which every bloody sacrifice points. And, of course, the peace offering is pointing to Christ as His blood is there and we are not to eat the blood because it is life-giving blood. It's, it's blood that makes atonement for our life. And the Israelites were told particularly not to eat blood. And I say this commandment ran deep into Jewish culture. Do you remember the Jerusalem Council in, in Acts chapter 15? Darren, you call it the most important chapter in all the Bible, Right? Acts chapter 15, when uh, there was a, a conflict of, among the Judaizers who, who had embraced Jesus, but also had lived according to law for so many years. And they said, you need to be circumcised according to the law of Moses if you're going to be a believer. And, and Paul and Barnabas heard about that. And they said, you're forcing circumcision upon us. You're forcing bondage to the law. No, that can't be. And so they rushed down to Jerusalem. They had this council. They had some debate. And the, basically the church fathers, James, Peter, decided... And they said, no, the, the Jews and Gentiles are all saved in the same way, by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the most important chapter in the Bible, according to uh, Darren, because it, if, if we'd have gone a different way then, if, if they'd have gone a different way and said, oh, you just need to be circumcised, then, then all of a sudden you keep one commandment law, you're bound to keep the whole law. And if you're bound to keep the whole law, you're, you're sunk. But it's not. It's, it's in Christ. Christ has become the end of a law. We don't need to do that. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. You don't need to submit to circumcision. But it's very interesting then at the end of Acts chapter 15, they said you don't need to keep the law, but here's some counsel for you. Here are some actually requirements for you, Gentile church. As you think about the way you live, one of the things you knew is abstain from blood. It's like, well, doesn't that sound like they're submitting to the law? I don't think they were. I think, though, it's such a deep-rooted social custom of the Jewish people that... For the, the Gentiles, who probably there were some Gentiles who were in the habit of drinking blood, maybe part of sacrifices, maybe thought it was healthy, maybe thought doing that. They, that was such a social faux pas. They said, you know what, for the sake of unity, abstain from blood. Let's not do this. We're not going to go there. And they mandated that. That was a mandate from the apostles. Not on the basis of a law, but on the basis of the apostles in terms of the the culture of the day. That's how deep it ran in the Jewish culture. Now, catch this. How ironic is it that Jesus comes on the scene, institutes the Lord's Supper, lifts a glass of wine, and says, according to Matthew's Gospel, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This anti-blood drinking culture for years, now he says, drink my blood. Just shows that not every detail in the sacrifice are exactly similar in the sacrifice of Christ. In none of the sacrifices would the worshipers have, have eaten the blood. But listen, in the sacrifice, we must eat of the blood of Christ. Listen to what Jesus said in John 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, of course he's not saying drink the physical blood of Jesus. There's only right, 
few pints of that that could go around. He's not talking about that. And later on in that context in John 6, you can read in 63 that he made the, he told the Jews, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Referring back to eating his body and drinking his blood. Those are spiritual words. But they're spiritual words with a meaning. Meaning that we need to partake of Jesus. We need to, to abide in him. It's a picture of, of Jesus coming into our lives and that, that we are dependent upon Him every bit as much as our food. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes, the mouth, that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Man shall not live his own strength, but by the strength that God provides as we eat His body and drink His blood and be with Him. It speaks not only dependence, it speaks about desire, that we ought to crave the blood of Jesus. We ought to crave His life coming into us just like we crave our natural food. That's what it means to abide in are, are you abiding in Jesus? Do you know this craving just to have Jesus in you? I mean, elsewhere he spoke about this. The living water in John chapter 7 when he comes into the temple. He says, drink of me. You, you drink. And to the woman at the well, he says, if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. And, and the idea is just, just getting Jesus and being satisfied with Jesus so much that we're abiding in him. Are you abiding in him? Drinking that blood that can forgive your sins. Let's move on. We've seen food, fat, blood. And now, why? This is my question. Why? Why the peace offering? Okay. Why the peace offering? Uh, again, uh, it's like the grain offering. We can go back to Leviticus chapter 3. There's, there's nothing mentioned in Leviticus chapter 3 that tells us why the peace offering. There was nothing in Leviticus chapter 2 that says why the grain offering. So you've you got to kind of look other places to see, okay, so how is it that the grain offering and the peace offering were applied? And last week, I, I told you that the, the grain offering was offered in conjunction with the burnt offering almost every single time. Now, there may be exceptions, but almost every time. It was a burnt offering, atonement, and then later on came the, the grain offering. And in fact, the peace offering often comes in conjunction with the burnt offering as well. In fact, look at chapter 3, verse 5. I'm not sure if you caught this the first time we read through it. It says, Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering. Same altar, same place. The burnt offering is still burning and you're then piling on the peace offering right on top of that offering. It assumes the burnt offering came first. I think the peace offering comes after the burnt offering. The burnt offerings for atonement, grain offerings for thanksgiving. The peace offering has several purposes, one of which is, is thanksgiving. In fact, these are outlined for us in chapter 7. So again, move over to chapter 7. It explains the peace offering in a bit more detail right, from the perspective of, of the priest. We see in verse 11. And we went over this a little bit last, last week because it talks about the grain offering as well. And this is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offerings that one may offer it <clears throat> to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, in other words, the peace offering can come by way of thanksgiving. That's my first. I'm going to have three, three purposes. First is thanksgiving. Three whys. Thanksgiving. If he offers it for thanksgiving, then he shall offer his peace offering with a thanksgiving sacrifice, which we talked about last week. Unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. That's the, that's the grain offering. 
with the sacrifice of peace offerings for thanksgiving. He shall bring his offering with loaves of unleavened bread. Right. So when he brings his thanksgiving offering, it needs to come with bread. It needs to come with a grain offering. And from it, he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It belongs to the priest who throws the blood of the priest offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it there until the morning. So coming after the burnt offering, the peace offering was an expression of thanks to God, just like we talked about with the thanks offering. He's given to us. And so in return, we give back to him, not because we have to, but because we want to by way of gratitude to the Lord. The, the peace offering was one way to do this. And so I thought about what, what are ways that we can express thanks to God? There are lots of ways. Let me just give you a few. We can thank the Lord in song. We can sing thanks to God. Corporate worship, we can do that. You can do that listening to your radio in your car, listening to a CD at home. Just singing thanks to God. That's like a peace offering. The peace offering isn't an offering to get peace. The peace offering is an acknowledgement that peace has come. And God, I'm so thankful for the peace I have through Jesus Christ. You can thank the Lord in prayer. That is not singing. That is on your knees. That is in your closet. That is lying on your bed. That is thinking. That is praying unto God. Or that's public. You, You can publicly pray in your families. I hope you're praying in your families together. Thank the Lord in your families. Thank the Lord in the church. Just praying to God. We can thank the Lord in giving. I think that's some of the idea of the Israelites. They expressed their thanks in bringing the peace offering. Some of that was going to support the priests. Likewise, we can give some, some tangible in our lives as well. It's a, a thanks to the Lord. God, I, I thank you. And so I'm just, I'm just giving this away. I don't have it. I'm just thanking the Lord. Gifts is a way to express thanks. You can thank the Lord in testimony. Telling others the wonderful things that God has done for your soul. That Psalm 107 that we talked about last week, right? Let, let those who are in trouble and God redeem them and brought them back from the pit. Let them give thanks to the Lord. You, let them give a testimony of praise to God and thanks to God for what God has done for their soul. We can thank the Lord in writing. Posting a note of thanks on Facebook. Or writing, you guys know what an old-fashioned note is? Maybe not so much today, but writing a, a note of thanks. Maybe here's a good assignment. You go to someone's house for guests who's coming to dinner today. Follow that up with a note. And we often do that. would encourage you to do that. We express our thanks to God. Isn't that what Paul did so often? When he letters, you just, you just look in uh, his epistles. Colossians or 1 Thessalonians or Ephesians or 1 Corinthians. Philippians, right? I thank my God for you. Always praying for you in my prayers. Thanking God for other people in writing. Thanking God is the way you just want to express yourself and make known that you're grateful to what God has, has done. And maybe today there's some peace offerings of thanks that you should give to the Lord. So sing a song and save the words and give the gift and let it be known what God has done for your soul. That is the peace offering. Well, the peace offering had other purposes and they're... They're sealed, they're spelled out here right in Leviticus chapter 7. Starting at verse 16, we're going to see the last two. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a free will offering, 
It shall be eaten on the day of his sacrifice, and on the next day what remains of it shall be eaten. And then he goes on verse 17 about how it needs to be eaten, otherwise it's going to be burned up. And if it's a third day, God's not going to accept it. It needs to be eaten quickly, right? You need to have this party. You need to have lots of people eating it. But we see two things here. We see a vow offering and a free will offering. Let's, Let's talk about this vow offering. This is sealing a vow. You can bring a peace offering to seal a vow. In other words, right, you make some type of vow to the Lord, you, you bring it with a, a peace offering. I, I think, say weddings, we do that. Uh, a man and woman stand in front of a church, they make their, their vows towards one another, and then what's the peace offering? It's the meal afterwards. So thankful that they are, are all there. There's a form of a vow and a, an offering. The, the New Testament has an example of this in, in Acts 21. Paul entered Jerusalem. He was in danger. Because people had heard that he was denying the law of Moses and he was going to be arrested. And, and so what they counseled him to do is, is to say this. Do therefore, Acts 21 verse 23, what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, pay their expenses so they may shave their heads. Thus all will know there's nothing in what they have been told about you, but you yourself also live in obedience to the law. So we don't know a lot of details about this, but somehow... These guys had taken this vow and Paul came and paid their expenses. I think he's coming and paying the expenses to offer up the peace offering probably because that says right here that it is for a vow. We also know that their, their, uh, their vow had something to do with purity and righteousness and there was some hair that was, was cut there. But Paul was willing to help these people with a vow because a vow is a, is a good thing if it's to be kept. And In a similar way, I just say this, that we may do well in in taking purity vows before the Lord. Some kind of vow that says, I'm going to walk in righteousness and holiness. Basically, it's public repentance that says, I'm turning from this. This is how I want to live. And here's my offering that I'm giving. Kind of a sign and seal of your covenantal pledge before the Lord. Could be in a sort of way a a covenant. Could be in a, a sort of a way that you... You vow something. Now, now beware of taking vows because, as Leviticus will say later, vows must be kept. Maybe for these guys it was a season of fasting and seeking the Lord. Maybe in Acts 21 it was a, a season of time because it looks like their purification was done. But vows might not be such a bad thing of, of, of vowing something and giving to the Lord in the midst of it. Paul was willing to engage in a vow. wouldn't be such a such a bad thing. <clears throat> and also, when you look at the Bible for grain offerings, they're often in terms of times of, of great events in the community. I think vows were offered probably at a lot of these times, right, where the whole congregation was together. Peace offerings, so I, I just went through, I just searched peace offerings throughout the whole Bible and found that mostly, they're not mentioned very much, by the way, um, but where they are mentioned, they were offered when the tabernacle was consecrated. Probably this big party offered a lot of peace offerings, vowing obedience to the Lord for what He has given to us. They were offered to be offered when Israel entered the promised land. Like, oh God, you've given to this, this to us. We are thankful. We vow to walk in obedience to what you have given to us. Peace offerings were offered when Saul became king. We've got a king. We're offering up our, our peace offerings to you. We're making a vow to be faithful to our king. Peace offerings offered the day that the ark of God came to Jerusalem in David's day and, and rested in the, in the tabernacle, still the tent on Mount Moriah. Vows may have been made that day with that celebration. Peace offerings were offered the day when the temple was dedicated, when Solomon offered as peace offerings to Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. 
which had to be consumed within two days. That was a big party. And that was a big celebration. And you can just read 1 Kings 8. That's Solomon's vow to the Lord, um, prayer to the Lord for Israel in the future. On such occasions, I, I think there were vows of consecration and devotion and dedication. I think that's somewhat being talked about. Anyway, and we did that a little bit. When we got this building, one of the first things we did is we had a special service. We had a special dinner together. I called together some pastors from DeKalb, which our church grew out of, and from Warrenville, which church grew out of, some local pastors. We celebrated together, had some things to eat together, uh, maybe not making formal vows, but basically saying, God, this is your building and we want to use it for your glory. Similar feel of the peace offering. Finally, a free will offering. Right? We see that again in verse 16. Let me just read it. If the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or of a free will offering, it should be eaten on the day that he offers a sacrifice, etc. This means his offering totally voluntarily. It's a free will. It's coming of my own volition. I'm bringing it. It's not because I'm compelled by my, my sin. It's not because I'm being compelled by my parents or friends or peer pressure. I'm just coming, God, because I want to come of my own volition and worship you. Kind of gives you an attitude of the perspective that comes in the, the peace offering. Now, this has been true of the flavor of all the offerings so far. Okay, all these pleasing aroma offerings, as they're called, the first three are different than the second two because these are just, if you come, if you come, look at chapter 1, verse 3, if his offering is a burnt offering, like, if he comes with a burnt offering, here it is. Or chapter 2, verse 1. When anyone brings a grain offering. Or chapter 3, verse 1. If his offering is a sacrifice, a peace offering. Now that's going to change in chapter 4. I remember studying this and, and uh, working through the Hebrew text in, in Leviticus and, and reading through it. And chapter 4, verse 2 stunned me. Because, so you work through the Hebrew text, there's a ton of vocabulary. I don't know, I'm looking it up. And then all of a sudden comes this, this word. I hadn't seen this word yet. Verse, chapter 4, verse 2, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about the things not to be done, and does any one of them... It's like, this is the first mention of if you sin, you need to bring your sacrifice. Now that's implied in chapter 1, verse 4, when he talks about the, uh, the atonement that's offered for the burnt offering. Right? There's an implement there, but it's, it's almost voluntary. Like all these offerings are voluntary. Next week, no voluntary thing with this. If you sin, you need a sacrifice. But up till then, up till now, these are not mandatory worship. The peace offering is a free will offering. It comes from a heart's desire that just wants to, to give to the Lord because the Lord is worthy to be given to. It wants to, to praise the Lord because He's worthy of, of being praised. And I just say this, my hope and prayer for Rock Valley Bible Church that we would be a lot of burnt offerings and grain offerings and peace offerings kind of people. Free will that this is, this is what we're doing because this is yours, God. I'm just coming to, to worship you. Not, not because your name is on some kind of list or some kind of obligation. You signed up for something or you got some duty here. You got to serve here. I want you to come because you freely want to come because you have a desire to be here. You have a desire to offer up your burnt offering, your grain offering and your peace offering. But turn to Amos chapter 5, okay? And then we'll transition to the Lord's Supper. I just want to focus your attention upon how, how important it is that we come to God rightly. Amos chapter 5, in the Minor Prophets, 
Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. So it's, it's over there. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. Amos chapter 5. And I hope that you'll see here even some of the fruit of my expositions the last three weeks as we see these offerings mentioned. <clears throat> but my point here is how you need to come to God with a right heart and a right desire that it's coming willingly to God. That's how He, he gets joy, right? Isn't it... Uh, the cheerful giver who God loves? He's the one who, who gives not under compulsion, but willingly. That's what we're talking about with this free will offering. But look at Amos chapter 5, verse 21. To those who are like just going through the motions, and maybe today finds you just going through the motions of church. Maybe you go through the motions of your Bible reading or prayer or, or whatever you do, your reading or your, your obedience, whatever. You, you wear these clothes because that's what a Christian does. Or you eat this way because that's what a Christian does. Or you don't do these things that's what a Christian does. And you're doing them right, but you're not doing them with a, a free will offering. Listen to what God says to these people at the time of, of Amos. It says, chapter 5, verse 21, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Now, these were things that God commanded. God commanded them to have these feasts, which we'll see later in Leviticus. And he commanded them to have these solemn assemblies. And God says, I hate them. I hate them. Maybe God says at the Lord's Supper, how you celebrate the Lord's Supper. I hate it when you do that. You know, he's commanded us to eat and drink. Or maybe it's something else. He says, I hate it when you sing. or I hate it when you pray. Verse 22. Even though you offer to me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Your fattened animals, that's, that's like you've not, you're not got the skinny animal that you're going to offer the Lord. This is the fat animal. God's getting a lot. Look at how much He's getting. And even though you follow Leviticus 1 and 2 and 3, Something's wrong here. He's saying, I hate it. I hate it. I despise it. He says, verse 23, Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. I don't even want to hear you sing, even though it's the right words. Something's wrong. And what's wrong is they weren't living with the right heart. Verse 24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Here's the idea. Here's the issue. He said they weren't holy people. And they were coming feigning holiness. And that's my point, is that the worship of God ought to be free will out of righteous and, and pure hearts that desire to, to seek Him and offer to Him. And I say that the same is true in the Lord's Supper. Right? As we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, let's come to, come to Christ and celebrate because He's told us to do this in remembrance of me. And we want to do this. And, and you know, we do here. It's been a while since we've celebrated the Lord's Supper. Maybe eight weeks. I'm not sure how long it's been. But, but we come as often as we wish, as often as we desire, as He says, as often as you eat it, we come proclaiming the Lord's death. Is that what you're doing? Are you proclaiming the Lord's death? Of course, it's a great time to look and examine your heart and examine your life. Just say, God, is, am, I, am I right 
Am I right with you? Am I trusting in the gospel? You know, the fighter verse this week, if you're going over those and memorizing those, I'd encourage you to do that with your family. First Corinthians 15. Tina puts those out. You'll get an email about that and today or tomorrow. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Here is the Gospel that we have, that we have received, right? As we're going to sing here, Living He loved me, dying He saved me, buried He carried my sins far away. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, because that's a true reality in our hearts, it's a true reality in our lives. And we're bringing our, our burnt offerings, our grain offerings, and our peace offerings as we worship Him, as we celebrate by eating and tasting and drinking as He commanded us to. So let's pray. And just even today, I would encourage you to examine your hearts that God might not be able to say what He said in Isaiah, Amos chapter 5, not even listening to us. So examine yourself. Repent of known sin. And we'll talk next week about if you sin, what needs to happen. You need to bring a sacrifice. And today, of course, we don't bring a sacrifice. We have the perfect sacrifice because Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And He was raised according to the Scriptures for our justification. So turn from your sin and repent and be a holy people. Rock Valley Bible Church. And if any of these things has confronted you about giving the best of the fat, or doing that which God forbids, may convict you right now. And may you turn from that. But this is a time of celebration. God, we can celebrate the, the Lord's Supper together. So God, I, I would pray. God, that we would look to You and to, to You alone. I, I pray, God, upon the hearts of the people here, uh, this precious church that You've given to all of us. God, may we worship You now in spirit and in truth. God, may we bring our, our offerings to You, maybe not physically, but certainly metaphorically as we sing, as we reflect again upon our Savior, the One who died for us. Oh, God, be with us. Uh, and I would pray, even if there's those here today apart from you, you protect them and just let them allow this cup to pass. This is for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus and are boasting in the cross and in, in Him alone. So I pray, Lord, that you would be a help and you'd be a strength to us.